0: Good evening, everyone. It is quite unbelievable to be chosen to speak tonight. Even more unbelievable is that Father Brian did a 15-minute mass tonight at seven (laughs) o'clock to get this started. I hesitated to accept at first, uh, questioning Father Brian's sanity and asking him why he would ever want to give me a microphone. But I am surrounded by strong, supportive Catholic women who tell me every day that I am worthy and good, and so here I am. A few disclaimers. There is nothing particularly exceptional about the experiences that I'm gonna share tonight. They're pretty common. Um, I'm hoping that it's this averageness that will make it easier for me and you to connect. Also, my talk tonight received some last-minute edits after reflecting on the gospel, and so it does take some detours, but most of us who follow Father Brian are used to those. (laughs) First, let's talk about that gospel. Martha and Mary are sisters, and they are hosting the Son of God in their home. Anyone who has ever hosted anything in their home knows that it is difficult to be present with your guests. Martha is running around being the ultimate hostess And there's her sister Mary, just sitting at Jesus' feet, taking it all in. Martha calls out her sister to Jesus and is like, hey, are you gonna tell this girl to give me a hand or what? And basically, Jesus says to her, and these are the words we all love to hear from men, right? Calm down. (laughs) (laughs) What he really said and what he meant was that Mary understood what was important in that moment, and Martha was focusing on the wrong things. Martha wasn't listening to God. For the record, I'm a Martha. And I think she is represented unfairly here. I think there are times when we need to be Mary, but also times when we need to be Martha. After I was asked to speak, it just so happened that my husband John and I had a weekend getaway planned without the kids. Um, I forgot to get myself a new book, and so I grabbed one last minute that I had read some time ago. So there we were, childless on a beach reading. This is the one exceptional part of my story. And uh, John had his World War II Churchill nonfiction book, and I had The Alchemist, which is a fictional story about an Andalusian shepherd following his dreams to find his purpose in life. Two peas in a pod, we are not. In this book, there's a story about a boy on a journey for the secret to happiness, and the boy travels through a desert for a long time in search of a wise man who holds the answers. He finds the wise man in a beautiful palace surrounded by people, and when he finally gets to speak to him, the wise man says he doesn't have time for the boy right then, and tells him to walk around the palace and take in all the great wonders and come back in two hours. And then he said to the boy, meanwhile, I want to ask you to do something, and he hands the boy a teaspoon that held two drops of oil. As you wander around, carry the spoon with you without allowing the oil to spill." So the boy walks all over the palace up and down the stairs with his eyes fixed on the spoon so as to not spill a drop. And after the time had passed, he returned to the wise man, and the wise man asked the boy, What did you think about my Persian tapestries and my beautiful gardens? Did you read the impressive parchments in my library? The boy was embarrassed and explained that his only concern had been not to spill the oil that the wise man had entrusted to him. The wise man sent him out again to see all the marvels of his world. This time, the boy saw them all, and upon his return to the wise man, he relayed all the details he observed. But where are the drops of oil I entrusted to you? Asked the wise man. Looking down, the boy saw that the oil was gone. And so the wise man said, well, there is only one piece of advice I can give you. The secret of happiness is to see all the marvels of the world and never forget the drops of oil on the spoon. When I read this the first time, I remember thinking that it was a simple idea to grasp and maybe even to carry out. I was not yet married and did not have children and had two healthy parents, and life's distractions were not as pronounced as they are today. The wise man was saying, remember what is important. Okay, I got it. This time around reading it, it resonated differently. This time, the wise man's task seemed harder. I cannot remember a time when I did not struggle with balance. I am an all-or-nothing perfectionist striving toward moderation but always falling short. I am a self-aware control freak that, despite that awareness, does not know how to ask for help. And this time reading this story, I thought of the spoonful of oil as my faith and how hard it is to prioritize my faith when my attention is being pulled in so many different directions. When I am so distracted by a need to be so many things to so many people, when I play so many different roles in this life, how do I not spill the oil? How do I sit and listen to God at the same time? How can I be Martha and Mary? There are different forms of distractions in our lives. It's not always life's responsibilities that we focus on. The time in my life that I was furthest from faith is very easy for me to pinpoint, and I probably had the least amount of responsibilities at that time right after high school graduation. Talk about marvels of the world. 18 years old with a fake ID, away from home, no one to check in with, freedom to choose for myself. Well, I chose poorly. Master of time management, I was not. I was surrounded by new friends. None of them were Catholic. Most of them did not practice any religion. I don't think I would have considered it peer pressure, but it was definitely not cool to be religious. So separated from my faith and not attending mass regularly for the first time in my life, I was a walking after school special and it all caught up to me pretty quick. At home in high school, I was an honor student athlete but away at college, I was everything I never thought I would be. I barely made it through my sophomore year. As a result, I sank into a pretty deep depression and continued to make decisions that brought me further and further away from the faith that I was raised with. I think most of us have experienced depression at some point in our lives, but if you haven't, it can be understood as the absolute absence of God. The belief that things are bad, have always been bad, and will always be bad. It is a state of mind devoid of faith, gratitude, and hope. And when you are depressed, you're comfortable in it. It becomes familiar to you. It is, in my opinion, the ultimate distraction from God. I cannot tell you how many therapists I saw during that time in my life. Not one of them suggested prayer or reconnecting with my faith. The journey out of that was a long and willful one that did not follow a linear path, but eventually I emerged. And I think of this period of my life as a time when I completely forgot God. This would be me spilling the oil from the spoon while I wandered around lost. I think that if I didn't have such a strong Catholic foundation as a child and a young person, it's possible I never would have found my way back. My foundation wasn't just about my parents getting me to church every Sunday and enrolling me in CCD, it was those things, but it was also watching how faith played a role in the lives of the people I looked up to, the Marys. My mother, who was devout, my best friend, and her parents were very active in church and my biggest cheerleaders. Even just the same faces I would see each week in mass, The consistency and community of our church is what strengthened my Catholic foundation. I was surrounded by faith-filled people. And as a parent now, I think this is the greatest gift I can give my children, to surround them with good Catholics now so that when they are not, when they are away from that community, which they will be, they can fall back on this foundation so that if they do get distracted or lost and forget the spoonful of oil, they will have people to remind them. I ended up getting back to school and getting my master's degree in mental health counseling. I worked for years with severely mentally ill adults and drew on my personal experiences and especially my faith to help others. It was exhausting work, but also some of the most rewarding moments of my life. And when I was working on my degree is when I met my husband. I don't think it was an accident that John came from a family that valued their Catholic faith above all else. So many things about my husband are blessings. For example, he has some OCD tendencies and so my house is always clean. (laughs) But his faith and Catholic devotion, it was like he was meant for me, as if God knew how easily I could be distracted and so he gave me someone to anchor me to where I really wanted to be. After we were married, we were excited to start a family and everything was going to plan and we got pregnant. And then at one of our sonogram appointments, we learned that the baby did not have a heartbeat. And with this miscarriage came all these questions. Am I being punished? What if I can't give John a baby? Isn't this my purpose here? And the feelings, self-doubt and self-loathing, fear, sadness, and then the familiar ache of depression, which I was tempted to smother myself in. All these feelings and questions were distractions that pulled me away from my faith. But this time, I was a little bit closer to God. I was going to church each week, doing some service at our parish of Sacred Heart over the bridge, and I was surrounded by devotion and faith in my marriage. I wasn't doing much more than that, but it was enough that I didn't let the fear distract me from my faith entirely. John, my husband, he's a Mary, and his faith helped mine. He held my hand so I could hold my spoonful of oil. Fast forward a few years, and we're two kids in, We were more active in church, and uh, now we joined another couple to host pre-Cana with Father John, trying to prioritize our relationship with God. Parenthood, while stressful, was a constant reminder of God's presence in our lives, and I was grateful. Tired, but grateful. Johnny was two years old, and I had just had Eleanor. I was nursing, and Eleanor was a snacker, so I wasn't getting much sleep. I was actually looking forward to going back to work because I felt so overwhelmed at home. I was so needed by these two small humans, and I was exhausted. Our marriage was being pushed to the brink at times, fighting more than we ever had. Hosting Precana was a gift to us that year. It was like a retreat for our marriage, remembering our vows, sharing our hardships with these young couples who were just starting out, teaching and learning about God's place in our marriage. It was a way for us to refocus on what was important. A few months after Eleanor, our second was born, Much to our surprise, we found out we were pregnant again. And not to give too much away, but with the sleep schedule we were on, let's just say this pregnancy was truly a miracle. And I am ashamed to admit, I was devastated at first. The self-doubt crept in. John and I were not in a great place. What if our marriage doesn't survive this? What if it's too much, too fast? I already felt overwhelmed that I wasn't doing a good enough job, much like Martha probably felt during her visit with Jesus. I pushed those thoughts away and instead pictured my two toddlers doting on a brand new baby. I used that Rockwellian imagery to get me past my fears and then finally, finally, remembered to thank God for this miracle. I was a better Catholic at this point attending mass with my squirming children, doing service, praying more, but still so distracted by my life that it took some time for me to feel God's grace in this pregnancy and to be grateful. I said my prayers thanking God and asking forgiveness for my moments of weakness when I felt anything but joy about this pregnancy. And then at one of my doctor's appointments, the doctor delivered a blow that our baby would likely be born with a genetic disease that would make a normal life and possibly even survival improbable. She said the baby had a 98% chance of being born with a chromosomal disorder. She presented us with our options, which she said were termination, an invasive test that could end in miscarriage, or wait and see. I let this news wash over me, and much to my surprise, I did not immediately feel fear or doubt. My first reaction was, I can handle this. I honestly surprised myself. John, like I said, who is he's very much a Mary usually, struggled with this news, and my confidence started to waver. His doubts about how he could parent a child with special medical needs weighed on him. My fear that this baby wouldn't survive and we would suffer another miscarriage grew as the days passed. And then the guilt. Did my initial reaction to this pregnancy bring this on somehow? I prayed to the Blessed Mary, to Saint Gerard, to God every day. We called Father John, and he offered us so much comfort with his words and prayers. We waited, we ended up waiting and seeing. After time passed, we learned that our third baby was no more at risk for any disease than any other fetus during what they called a geriatric pregnancy. I was 34. (laughs) We took a deep breath, tried to forgive the doctor who had just scared us to death, and moved through the rest of that pregnancy with a buzzing current of anxiety until Caroline arrived healthy as could be. I look back at that pregnancy and I wish I could have had more faith. Not faith that our baby would be perfect or healthy, but faith that, as Father John told us when he quoted Padre Pio, God does not give us a challenge to which he does not also give us the grace to overcome. Caroline is eight years old now. She's receiving her first communion this year. You have to know her to fully understand this, but God speaks to our family through her. All three of our children have gifts and are special in their own way. Caroline's gift is her goodness and proximity to God. She is famous for Q and A with priests after mass, fact checking their homilies and trying to gain a deeper understanding of their messages. Her favorite thing to watch on her iPad is Bible cartoons, which I didn't even know were a thing. Every day, she reminds us to pray. She just did it today before dinner. Every day, she is our spiritual cheerleader. There is nothing we can't do with God and God is the one to thank for everything good. I don't think it's an accident that she turned out like this. I truly believe that she is who she is as a reminder that I need to have faith in what I understand to be true as a Catholic. She is my constant reminder to remember my spoonful of oil. She is a Mary and she makes the rest of us strive to be Marys too. Since Caroline's arrival, rounding us out into a family of five, our lives are insanely busy. Things have changed, and it's not like when we were growing up and our parents would just kick us outside every day after school. The kids all have organized activities and sports from a young age that require multiple practices a week, travel on the weekends, and an engineering degree to figure out the equipment. I am very involved at the kids' school at Long Beach Catholic. As a parent, a school board member, co-president of the Parents' Club, among other things. I was just sending out March's lunch orders from my car before I came in here tonight. Um, My little sister had her first baby a year ago, and I am blessed with a few days a week of watching my nephew. We are very lucky to have a large and growing circle of friends and family, and we have a very active social life. I am a person who is involved. I am an involved parent, an involved family member, an involved friend. I never went back to work, but my life is full, full of all the marvels and despairs, the wonders and miracles. And it's so easy to become distracted by all of these, by all of these blessings. But I know, I know who to thank. I know that without God, none of this, none of these incredible gifts would exist. I would be sad, I would be doubtful and afraid. I would probably be alone. It is the knowledge that, it is this knowledge that makes faith my priority, makes it easier to make the right choices that keep me close to God. And it makes me a proud Catholic. I do not ever feel I need to hide my faith, even when being Catholic is unpopular, which it often is. I am proud of my faith, and everyone in my life knows this about me, and that is how I guard it. That is how I remember it. The first part about that story with the boy, where he doesn't look up from the spoon, is a little overlooked. We can't live in this world as God wants us to without looking up from the spoon at times. We have to live here, and be here for each other, and remember him at the same time. About five years ago, my mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She fought it for a few years, but lost her battle 18 months ago at the age of 71. The day she passed away, my sisters and I were with her. She was in so much pain. To bear witness to my mother suffering like that, feeling helpless to do anything, was pure anguish. And in these final moments, when it was clear my mom was suffering and afraid to let go, I surprised myself again. I held her hand and told her that this was what she had prepared for her whole life. That the hard part was over, and to be brave now and finish the race. That everything she taught me about God told me that she had nothing to fear. She should let go. I was steady this time, confident in my faith, faith that my mother helped to instill in me. My father-in-law is a deacon and somehow was able to get a priest over to her this Sunday morning, and Father Hillary gave my mother Holy Communion for the last time, and she passed right then. I swear I felt her go. I swear I felt it in my very being that my mom's soul returned home to rest in peace, and in this moment, the hardest moment of my life, the moment my mom left this world, I was closest to my faith than I had ever been before. The moment my mother died, I did not have doubt or fear. I had marveled at my mom's strength and despaired in her pain and suffering, and I had guarded my faith, I did not spill a drop. In that moment, I was finally Mary.